got capped and the name that makes it happen No further introduction to the man that's worth cracking City's clapping for his relentless backing A bestie against the former team that just went packing While they're slacking and other hosts are lacking He tells it like it is on issues that nobody's tackling While he's racking, the ones who keep on grappling The listeners some followers who get it keep on stacking Great friend and the type to set a trend President to see where haters with the men there's no pretend 17 years, he along with Pierce Entertaining Southern Kelly back by popular demand Intense for the listeners to resonate To the hottest topics of the day, check the resume While some local leaders seem to lack the unity My man uses his voice to do what's best for the community Westwood One, catch him on the sidelines Reporting live, what we later see in highlights No holds barred, just like on his timeline Sun filter podcast, no need to follow guidelines Meet any criteria, dropping bombs like Syria Touching down, all around, connected like Expedia Coming to your speakers live from the city, yo Bestie, welcome to the Scott Kaplan Media Great friends, thank you so much for being here. If you are following along on the Scott Kaplan Solo Podcast in order, we are to episode 54, or as I would like to say, fit a foe. And I say that in honor of my man, Billy Ray Smith, my longtime radio broadcast partner in Southern California. And 54 was Billy Ray's football number. He then created his own corporation, which he calls Fidifo Inc., F-I-D-D-Y-F-O, Fidifo Inc., because he said that's the way the brothers used to say 54. I said, what? He said, yeah. He was the brothers on the team used to say Fidifo. So that's the name of his company. The reason I mentioned Billy Ray right at the top of this podcast is because he's going to become a big part of the conversation today with my guest, Linda Welby. This is episode 54 of the Scott Kaplan Solo Podcast, but it's episode two of badass bitches. Now, when I wanted to do a podcast focused exclusively on women who crush in life, the first episode was with my friend Annie Lawless, who went from making juice in her kitchen and delivering it in emptied water bottles to becoming a superstar millionaire who's now got her own line of cosmetics in Sephora. I mean, she hit massive home runs. Not everything in terms of success is necessarily about the millions of dollars. In the case of my guest this week, Linda Welby, my longtime radio partner, Linda Welby, people think of Scott and BR, they think of me and Billy Ray, and we appreciate that. But Linda has been a vital, important, critical, humorous part of our show for a really long time, and in two different stints. I've never really ever one time, never, asked Linda about her past in radio. She was, she was brought to us, we hit it off day one, and I never asked. I mean, I just never did. And in this interview for Badass Bitches, it's fascinating to hear how Linda's radio career got to where it is today because, as I say to her, the way I perceive her, her career right now is this, is this is a hobby for her. She shows up, does the radio show, and goes home. She's a full-time mom and a full-time wife. But what's fascinating, I had no idea. I literally did not know this, is that her career got her family started, got her family to San Diego, bought a house in Point Loma. That's, that's where her family's, you know, that's where it all started. It, it was her husband later, though, that became a successful business person that allowed Linda to have this, this fun career. Now, I mean, it used to be their most important, but now this is, has become fun for her. 
Last year, for those of you that are radio listeners, you know that last year, and we talk about this, last year was a tough year. In 2018, hard year for our show. Billy Ray goes into semi-retirement only on the air on Fridays, and his memory is deteriorating due to football. And for Linda, she announced in July of last year, 2018, that she was diagnosed with breast cancer. We've talked about this on the air, and um, but we've never gotten as deep as we did during this podcast. So I'm going to just get right into it. I want to just say before I do, thank you to everybody who was listening to last week's podcast. My new series called Supper Club with my buddies who we just sit around and talk about life over a great meal. We were at Pacific Coast Grill last week. Lots of really interesting feedback. I look forward to more of those because I think once everybody gets really comfortable with the microphones being on, uh, people will get a lot looser. But I think what I really enjoyed was the, the feedback from people who said, wow, these are smart, deep, close guys, you know, people really close to me. And, and just talking about what was going on in our lives at that time, it seems to have resonated. So thanks for everybody who's listening. If not, go back and check out the first episode of Supper Club. Here's the second episode of Badass Bitches on episode 54 of the solo podcast. I think you're going to love this. You know, you, you can get Linda Welby and I on radio every day, but this is uh, this is just the two of us in a quiet room, no phones, no radio, no live performance. This is this is just getting to know Linda way better for all of you as well and for me and and to hear about her battle with breast cancer. Linda Welby, badass bitches, even though she doesn't like the title. Can you are you capable of putting your phone down for 30, 40 minutes, 50 minutes? Yep. You think Still, so? I think I turned it off. I mean you Let me show you. Facebook, huh? Facebook. You have Facebook in your left hand and a throat lozenge in your right hand. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. You seem like a real <laughs> mess today. <laughs> Why are you here? You're going to get me sick. Uh, oh. No, I'm on the tail end. I don't know, man. You don't look so good. Really? I look no, I mean, sick? I mean, well, I don't know. You just... I hope not. I just came from a thing I had to do. What thing? A sports panel at Mesa College. What kind of sports panel? Just, you know. What do you know about sports? Okay. <laughs> My God. <laughs> it was um, yeah. Quinn Early. Yeah. John Howard. Mm-hmm. And Bryce Miller. Okay. And myself. Mm-hmm. So they wanted TV, radio, an athlete, and mm-hmm. a writer. Mm-hmm. What were you? I was um, just the eye candy. Oh, really? <laughs> 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 now, here's the thing. So this is the second ever episode of this new podcast series called Badass Bitches. Mm-hmm. And when I first was thinking about Badass Bitches, you were one of the badass bitches that I wanted to have on the podcast. Even though everybody can listen to us on the radio five days a week, 15 hours a week. Right. You have just come off some crazy stuff that I wanted to hear about in a deeper way mm-hmm. than I might necessarily be able to hear it on the radio. Right. Oh, going but, deep. But you don't you don't seem to subscribe to the title of this this podcast. You don't seem to like it. You have a better yeah, suggestion. It's not my favorite. Not my favorite. Give me another word besides bitches. That's the word, the word that you seem to be hung up on. Um I don't know. I mean, is babes? I think babes is, no, is condescending. Babes is condescending. You know, badass bitches, it just sounds like a biker gang or something. Um I don't know, just something about strong women or Okay. Women, women of courage. Badass strong women. Women of Badass courage. Badass bitches sounds cool. Come on. Maybe. All right. 
It's not my thing, but okay. okay. I, I got it. Yeah. All right. But but I think about you in this way because um, like the last year, 2018, mm-hmm. of the Scott and BR radio show, which you've been a part of, a cast member for, I can't even remember how long, in two different iterations, at two different times, but between 2004 Four, yep. and 2015, in that 15-year period, mm-hmm. there's two different stints that probably last, I don't know, how long? Eight, nine years, somewhere? Yeah, close in? to 10, actually. Yeah. yeah. So We've known each other a long time. This was actually the weirdest thing, and I know we did talk about this on the radio, but when Billy Ray and I went to Peoria, Arizona for spring training in 2003, 2002, I'm sorry, 2002, you were there at spring training as well. Mm-hmm. We were both working at Clear Channel Radio. I was working for the sports station, 690. Who were you working for? I was working for the mix station. And so you and your on-air partner, Mike O'Brien, mm-hmm. were, were broadcasting on the patio at Peoria, Arizona, next to where Billy Ray and I were broadcasting. Right. And totally by chance, 17 years later, our original producer, Corey Stewart, who had taken a picture, uh, somebody had taken a picture of the three of us sitting at our picnic table, and then off in the background, but only a couple tables away, there you were sitting. This is before we really even knew each other. I know. I know. How, how did you even get to the radio in San Diego? Me, I came out here to work with Billy Ray. I came here to work at 690. I was recruited by, um, by a, I, I guess I'd call him a headhunter, but a station consultant. And that's, that's really how I got to San Diego. How, how did you? How did I how, get here? What were you doing that you were on the, on the air mm. in 2002, sitting in the background of that picture? Um... Well, that was my second go-around in San Diego. Um, I started off as a poor white child. I believe that. I do. Do you? No. <laughs> I did. Yeah? Yeah, I did. Yeah. I can feel you on that. Can you? Uh-huh. Yeah. Very poor. Um, yeah, we lived in um, the oldest housing project in the country. In Boston? In Boston. Mm-hmm. The oldest housing project in the country. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How many brothers and sisters? Six. Six total kids? Mm-hmm. How many girls? Four girls, two boys. Where are you in that range? Number two. You're the second oldest. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Wow, so you grew up parenting these little kids. Well, I tried my best to not do that, but yeah. Yeah, it's kind of, it gets put on you, for sure. So you, you were mentioning, though, that you, this was your second stint in radio mm-hmm. in early 2002. In San Diego, and then somehow you took it to the projects of Boston. Because uh, that's where I got my grit, you know, when I think you need that to get by in this industry. <laughs> Damn right. Um, so, yeah, so I, we moved to the suburbs later on, got our feet, bought a house. You know, life was getting better. My dad was always about education, you know, no matter what. And I went to Emerson College on the Poor People's Program. You know, they gave me a ton of money to go to the school there. And also, I paid off loans until I was like 35. Um, How much student debt, student loan debt did you have when you graduated college? A lot. How much? I, I don't even remember, but Pretty I know. Nice. I really honestly couldn't even tell you, but I know every month I had to pay $200 from the time I left school until I was about 30, 35 years old. I remember that last Fannie Mae book that I could just burn. And that was a happy day for me. Mm. It was a lot. So I went to Emerson. I started news in Boston and, and started realized... Started doing what news in Boston? Um, covering news stories. I was writing news stories and then... For who? Um, for 
for a uh, radio station? WEIM and WKOX. Are they radio stations? They are radio stations. So you're writing news copy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and anchoring the news for that station. They were oh, all wow. news stations. And this then, is fresh out of school? Fresh out of school. On radio in Boston? Mm-hmm. Was yep. that a big deal back then? I mean, it sounds like a big deal. It was a big deal. Yep. I mean, so. to be fresh out of college and have a job on the air. Yep. At what sound like, I don't know if these were big stations or small stations. Yeah. Well, Emerson preps you pretty good for that because they have their own radio station. and they have. So you were stuff. already in radio in college? Well, I got an incomplete in radio. <laughs> <laughs> so far, you still have an incomplete, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I made it up and got a good grade. But I did at the time. I thought to myself, why am I even taking this radio class? I will never go into radio. And I ended up doing it. So I did that. And then I realized news wasn't my thing because I covered a story for a uh, family that um, had a, they were digging in the backyard and they didn't get a dig safe permit. And the backhoe hit a gas line and it blew the whole house up. Mm. I mean, their clothes were in the trees, the parents were staying, everybody, the whole family crying. They were talking to the uh, fire chief. And I got there, and I don't know if you remember those big phones that were like a foot long. Remember those old, like big, clunky? Cell phones? Yeah, cell phones. Yeah. They, they were the first cell phone, but yeah. they weighed like 10 pounds. Yeah, like the big brick. Right, the yeah. brick. Yeah. And I had one of those and was talking to the news director back at the station and she asked me to describe the scene and she said, well, go get an interview with the parents. And I said, well... So the fire chief is here, and I know him, so I'm going to talk to him because they're really upset. And she said, don't bother coming back if you don't get an interview from the people. I didn't sit well with you. No, it did not. So what happened? I didn't go back. <laughs> Seriously? <laughs> yeah. You, you, were, you did, did not want to interview the, the family. They were distraught. Mm -hmm. They were... I couldn't even imagine sticking a microphone in their face. I, and then I realized this isn't for me. I'm not a news person. Try so, something else. So what'd you do? So then... Um, By the way, are you like a young, single, fresh out of school mm -hmm. woman living in Boston? Mm -hmm. Yeah? Yep. Mm. Yeah. So screw you. I'm onward. <laughs> so what'd you do? So then I packed my bags and moved to California. Come on. I mean, that's just, hey, I'm leaving mom, dad, mm -hmm. brothers, sisters, life in Boston, family. It's too cold. Yep. I'm going to California. I'm going to California. No job? No job. Uh, married at this time? No. Mm -mm. Just why, where in California are you going to go? San Diego, of why? course. Because San Diego is America's finest city, Scott. Yeah, but not back then. Come on. <laughs> no, why would you go from Boston to San Diego with no job? I went there this because- does, This doesn't sound right to it's me. It's not making sense no, to you? No, because you seem like a prepared person. I don't know. I don't. Are you? Are you that whimsical? I used to be. Yeah. I used to be a lot more whimsical. Yeah. Okay. No, my sister had gone, taken a cross country trip with a friend, and they ended up in San Diego. I flew out to meet them with two suitcases full of stuff because I just knew I was going to love it. And wait, wait. These girls are driving cross country. Mm -hmm. You're flying out to meet them. No, I drove myself later. Oh. oh. I flew out to meet them. Visited them. Left my bags said, I'm going to go back, pack the rest of my stuff up, and come back out. Do you want to stay? And my sister said yes, and the other girl went back. So you and your sister then moved to San Diego together? Yes. What year is this? Mm, so in the 90s. Can we be slightly more specific? Your Honor, this is a, oh, no, a no, hostile no. witness, Your Honor. 
No, no, no. I take that back because it was after college. So it would have been probably like 89. Okay. There you go. Yeah. Now I like that you're giving us years. Now we can find out how now old you're going to you really try and do are. the math, yeah. right? And see how right. old and decrepit I am. I Now I've confirmed now how old I thought you were. Yeah. Yeah. Since right. you've never told Good me this. For you. Okay. So, so you and your sister, how, which sister is this, by the way? Jean. Which is, where is she in the line of? She's right after me. Okay. So you and your little baby sister, mm-hmm. who you're probably really close in age with, mm-hmm. are both moving out to San Diego in the late 80s? Because you're young. We're young. Already done with school. Right. Already had a job. Well, I had a job in Boston. Right. And what about money? Um, we like to live off the fat of the land, Scott. Is that right? <laughs> really? Were no. you killing rabbits and like sitting around a campfire at night? No, we always had, I always had waitressing or bartending experience under my belt through the college years. So we both got a job at a bar called Lucy's in Ocean Beach. And we just became the only the only two bartenders that ran that bar. You and your sister. Mm-hmm. You and your sister took over Lucy's. Lucy's. Two girls from Boston. Mm-hmm. New meat in San Diego. Yep. On Voltaire. Right. So it's a uh, you know pool bar and smoky and yeah we did that. Okay. For for how long? Um, I mean, when do you start making your way back into radio? For I did that for about a year, maybe a year and a half. My parents were thrilled because of all the college. <laughs> so glad you went to Emerson. Yeah, got those so happy loans. about that. How's that bartending gig? Hmm. Did you study that in college at Emerson? No, but bartending is what I think I learned the most about communications through bartending. I really do believe that. Any classes I took in college, they were good, not like bartending. Mm-hmm. And um, then I, we weren't supposed to date the customers, but there was one guy that walked in, and he was tall. The way you just paused and, and put that straw in your mouth was a little <laughs> ridiculous, okay? I mean, that's was, a little awfully phallic He was for just me. really nice. Uh-huh. So I started dating him, mm-hmm. and uh, we moved in together six months later. What, so wait a second. This is your husband, Austin, we're talking yes. about. And you're saying that you're bartending for a year. Mm-hmm. He comes busting through the door. like yes. like, like he's in a saloon. It was, know, like, he, it was like there was a theme song behind him. Right. You know, and, and slow lights. motion. Just, yeah. Yes. And you, you're bartending and you meet the nice customer and now you start dating the nice customer. Mm-hmm. Six months later, you guys move in together. We move in. Okay. Yes. Then what? And then he was helping me unpack some stuff and organize and he found some old tapes that I had done. And he said, oh, what are these? I said, those are the news tapes I did in, in college. These and, are cassette tapes you have? Cassettes. Uh-huh, Remember cool. those? Uh-huh. And he said, and, and videotapes of some stand-ups that I had done. And then he said, well, let me hear one. I was like, oh, I don't know. Wait a second. Did he? He? He's like, hey, I'm now living with the bartender. Mm-hmm. You know, the one her and her sister, the bartender's down there. She lives with me now. Mm-hmm. He didn't know a little bit more about like, yeah, I'm he knew from I went Boston. To, he I knew went I went to school. To school. Uh-huh. You know, he knew I worked at a at a news place. I, I just don't think he got into the depth of it. Okay. And he popped a tape in, and he said, "Video or audio? Audio." Uh-huh. He said, "You're really good. This is." Like, this is better than I thought it was going to be. This is good. Why don't you pursue this? You've got to go back and do this. So he encouraged me to send tapes out, and I did, and I got a job doing traffic. And traffic led me to a gentleman by the name of Steve Mason. Wait, go back to traffic for a second. You 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 sent tapes out here in San Diego. This is an old, different time of radio. Right. This is called the late 80s, early 90s. Mm-hmm. You're literally making cassette tapes. Oh, you're, putting yeah, them in you're a case. editing together yourself. It's ridiculous. And it's not like editing today where it's as easy no, as you know, on the like computer. No, it's like you dual cassette tapes right. and you try to edit 
one. I know you know you've oh, done it. Been there way too many times. So so you you send a a a couple of resume tapes around here in San Diego mm-hmm. to different radio stations. Yep. You got hired by a company that was doing traffic. Yes, Monica Zek hired me. She's still around. And what was your on-air name doing traffic? Um, Fluffy Fitzgerald. Nice. Was that good? Good one. Or Linda Welby. Really? Linda yeah. Welby was your on-air name doing traffic? Yeah. Okay, got Why it. not? It's I my name. Know. I don't know. So, uh, yeah, because some traffic people change their names. Yeah. I don't know why. Because I never they wanted to. Because they don't want to be typecast as traffic people. Probably. Oh, okay. Be my guess. Yeah, I didn't care. Okay, got it. So then I started doing Steve Mason's show. And what was Steve Mason doing at the time? Steve Mason was doing mornings. At 690. At 690. Okay, so wait a second. Are you, you went to work for what station? Doing traffic or what organization? Metro Traffic. Metro Traffic. Mm -hmm. And then were you in the same building as 690? Mm -mm. No, but you're in a separate place, but you're doing traffic updates during his show. Right. And Steve Mason's on the radio in the morning. Right. And Steve uh, was excellent at orchestrating, you know, just bringing characters in, Mm -hmm. as you are. Just the same thing that you do. And he decided, you know, he wanted to hear a little more from me. And every time I would kind of chime in or I'd kind of... You know, just snipe a little bit if I had something funny to say or I felt, you know, and, and he liked it. You were part of the show. Part of the show. And Steve said to me um, one time we were out, you know, on remote somewhere because I used to go out with them and do appearances with them sometimes. And he said, you really got to get your get keep these together and make a tape out of all the stuff that we do and go find your own show. And I said, uh, all right. So I did that. And put out a bunch of tapes to blind boxes on R and R. You know they had these blind box listings. R and R is the online. And by the way, this radio and record. Been, yeah, this may have been a hard copy magazine. It was a hard back copy then. back yeah, then. Yeah, because R and R online. For anybody that's listening that doesn't really know the inside radio stuff, R and R online dot com was the place to go in probably the late nineties. When you were looking for radio work, that website was the place to look, mm-hmm. I think. And before it, obviously, Radio and Records Magazine, the hard copy magazine, right. is what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I looked through that. And the blind boxes scared me a little bit because I always wondered, am I sending it to myself? Like, my... What does blind boxes mean? Blind box just gives you the description of the job. Uh-huh. We're looking for a morning show, partner, format, whatever. Yeah. And so that's all they'll give you. And they won't even give you, they might give you the region of the country, where mm-hmm. it is to right. give you an idea. So they but weren't giving specifics of what the job was. They don't. And oftentimes people in our industry were sending tapes to their own boss. Uh, which really. Yeah. Dirty yeah. bastards. Yeah, I know. Didn't work out right. too well. Well, I mean, the bosses were just setting them up for failure. Yeah, kind of. Know? Like, let's see who's looking for a job. Right. Okay, so go ahead. So you send, so Steve Mason. Yes. Who I, I love Steve Mason. I do too. All these years later, you know, I really, really respect Steve. Um, the time you're talking about where Steve is hosting the morning show at 690, what year do you suppose this is? This was um, probably 89. Oh, really? That Maybe 90. Really? Okay. I mean, I don't know if you can pinpoint. 91? Early 90s. Yeah, early 90s. Okay. And is Steve on his own? Because, you know, Steve's had a long successful career with John Ireland and the two of them worked together on 690 and then they moved it to LA, which you may have yeah. been a part of that. No, I wasn't. He moved out and uh, also worked with, uh, he moved from Toledo, Ohio. Steve Mason did, yes. right? Yes. And came out with his girlfriend, and I can't remember her his name. His girlfriend? But she was lovely. Really? Mm-hmm. You know he's gay? Yes. Okay. But at the time he had a girlfriend. Got it. <clears throat> at the time he probably didn't know he was gay. Like he probably knew it, but he didn't want to deal with it. Right. Because you know? it was the 80s and mm-hmm. we were also, you know. Uptight. Yeah. Yeah. So then, <coughs> excuse me. I wasn't sure if Steve was gay. Like when I worked with Steve every day, mm-hmm. I really 
I wasn't sure, but I there was a time where I said, okay, Steve's got to be gay. Here's what here's what happened. Uh, we were working together in the early days of 1090, and Steve had moved, I want to say, back from L.A. I think he came back from L.A. to start 1090 with mm-hmm. us. And somebody said something to him about, um, you know, where are you going to move into? Where are you going to live? And he said, oh, I don't know yet. I haven't figured it out. And somebody said something to him like, hey, you don't want to go live in Hillcrest. There's a bunch of homos down there. So, you know, something homophobic like uh, that, you know? Yeah. And, and I remember... I remember... For some reason, I, I was exposed to that somebody had said this to Steve, and Steve seemed offended by it. You know, whereas you know you're in a locker room in a sports radio station, guy. Hey, you don't want to live down there, you know. Mm-hmm. But but I I kind of figured it about that time. But I was young and stupid, and I didn't have any. And he was probably maturing and ready to. I was. You know, I loved Steve. He, I, who I, he is. I really loved him back then because you know. In the early at that time in 2003, when I started working with him, um, I had replaced him in New York on WNEW. Oh, right. So when he went to New York, he went to WNEW. It didn't work out. We replaced him there at NEW. Then we find ourselves working together here. But what I found so fascinating about him was, besides being in radio, he owned a movie theater. Actually, yes. he owned a couple of movie theaters. Yes, he did. I remember he, that. He was very much into business long mm-hmm. before I was into business. He was into business outside of radio. And I found that fascinating back then. So yeah. I'm a big Steve Mason fan. Right. Always a, a mover and a shaker, for sure. Yeah. And encouraging. Encouraging of other people. Um, and yeah, so I really I, like Steve. I sent tapes out and got a gig in Omaha, Nebraska. You're kidding. Nope. I was a sidekick. Use the air quotes for that. Um, Why would with, you have left San Diego to go to Omaha as opposed to trying to find... A job like that in San Diego. It was tough to find stuff in San Diego at the time. I mean, everybody was saying that. And I've always found that if you really want to elevate yourself through experience and monetarily, sometimes you really do have to move. And it, and it did work out that way. I went to Omaha, Nebraska, and I worked with this guy, Rocket. Rocket in the morning. I have a question. You were, you'd left the bar. Yep. You're, you're living with your now husband, but mm-hmm. back then your boyfriend, Austin. Yes. He encourages you to get back into radio. You do. Mm-hmm. And now radio is going to take you from San Diego to Omaha, Nebraska. Yes. And you're already talking like you took the job. You did. Mm-hmm. You, you went. Did, did Austin go with you to Omaha? Of course. You're kidding me. No. He, he, what was he doing at the time? He was, um, well, he had a very lucrative job parking cars for Ace Parking. Got it. And uh, being a drummer in a band. Got it. So he had the flexibility. He did. With his career. Yes. To, to be willing to move. So he and he was, had just graduated from San Diego State. And he was willing to move to Omaha, Nebraska with you to pursue your radio career. Yes. Amazing. So yeah. what happened? He said, so this is an adventure. Let's go. Let's try it out. So we went and uh, I learned a lot. Yeah. This guy, I'd learned a lot from him. And uh, I was there for about a year. And then I, it, Omaha was tough for me because I've always lived near the ocean. So it was really a tough place for me to live, but unique. And I still, to this day, are friends with the people I met there. From there, I sent tapes out and I went to Cincinnati, Ohio. Were you starting to think at this point, okay, I was in San Diego doing traffic. Mm-hmm. Mason encouraged me. I'm now in Omaha. Were you starting to think I need to climb the ladder of bigger markets? Mm-hmm. That's what you were thinking? Right away. Then? Yeah. Right away. I was like, how fast can I get done what I need to get done here and move to the next jump? And then how fast can I do that? I just want to do it fast. So then I went to Cincinnati and I thought the same thing. I thought, well, I'll do like a year maybe two in Cincinnati. What kind of station were you on there? It was, it was the hot station. It was the, uh, hip, you know, um, uh, rock and roll station, all hits, all, you know, the top songs. Okay. And this was in the nineties. This was in the nineties. Okay. Yeah. 
And you're now going to become what? You're going to be a cast member on a show? or um, I was the co-host for a show and then hosted on my own and then got a co-host again. But this is talk radio or this is music radio? Music radio. And so how much talking are you doing during an hour? For the morning sh- morning shows are a different breed because you talk a lot more in the mornings. Mm-hmm. So some mornings you, you may play... I mean, we've had mornings where we play four songs an hour. Some mornings you play eight songs an hour. It just depends on what's going on, who you have in the studio for an interview. If the interview's amazing, then it's okay to let the music go. But when you're working on a music station, you know, you don't want to let that go too much. Mm-hmm. But but were you guys like a happening product in Cincinnati? Because as you're describing this time mm-hmm. in the mid-90s, and I'm just thinking about this now. I mean, I'm sort of breaking into radio myself, although... I mean, very early on, I mean, 94, you know, I'm doing like updates on the Rush Limbaugh show right. on a sports radio station in Miami that has Rush Limbaugh on in the middays. So the sports radio format is just kind of really starting to take shape in the 90s. But Howard Stern is already a monster superstar. Oh, yeah, he was the guy. And, and you know, I think everybody had these dreams of being, you know, a great celebrity radio personality like Stern had become mm-hmm. already. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I um, I think I I listened to a little too much Stern at that time. Yeah, right. I I don't. There is some. I go back and listen to some tapes, and I think, eh, that wasn't me. That was me trying to be a female Stern. And it just wasn't. You know, you because you have to be you. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it takes a while to figure that out. Mm-hmm. You can look at people and you can emulate them and and appreciate what they do, but don't do them. Do yourself. I would, I would agree with that. Yeah. Because it's not going to work any other way. I would agree with that, yeah. So so you're in Cincinnati. How many years were you on the radio in Cincinnati? Uh, I was about five or six. Yeah. And and what's your husband doing? Because now he's followed you uh-huh. from San Diego to Omaha, mm-hmm. Omaha to Cincinnati. Yeah. What's he doing? Is he still in that lucrative industry of parking cars? And he's uh, No, he, he got out of that, sadly. And uh, went into, uh, he managed a music store um, and also still played his music. Yeah, so he wanted to keep going with the music. <coughs> okay. So, and... Um, so you're in Cincinnati. I'm in Would Cincinnati. You, you, you call it a pretty successful run? It was a hugely successful run because not only was I doing the morning show, but we were in the same building for the CBS TV affiliate, and they approached me and wanted me to work for them as well. So I was doing double duty. I was working the morning, and then the afternoon, I was their uh, entertainment reporter on the street. So I was on their station Monday through Friday and sometimes on the weekends doing covering whatever was big in the entertain arts and entertainment world and then back to my morning show. So when you have when you have radio exposure and television exposure and this is again mid 90s call it. Mm-hmm. I mean you I'm sure you were probably making some pretty good money. Yes. Cincinnati's not Southern California even back then. Mm-hmm. I mean t- tell me what was going on there. Were you making a lot of money? Yes. Mhm. Yeah, I was. That was great. I loved it. I loved it. And I was doing a lot of appearances, too. I mean, I was doing appearances. I, I would do Saturday, it would be three appearances back to back to back to back. You know, and at... All, hey, here's Linda Welby from this radio station and that TV station, and she's here to make an appearance. Mm-hmm. Yep. What kind of places? Um, the Like a Macy's-type store, mm-hmm. if they were having a sale, or clubs. Um, this one club that... Uh, also coming up the ranks at the same time on the big WLW was our sports station was Chris Collinsworth. So Chris Collinsworth and I would always overlap this one club. He went and did the early shift. What kind of club? What do you mean by club? It was just a nightclub oh, that, you know, you'd go and, and you, 
you'd be like the pretend DJ. They really had a DJ, but you just get on the mic every now and then and be like, hey, it's Chris Collinsworth. Hey, it's Linda Welby. And, uh, you know. So you were, so Chris Collinsworth was kind of Cincinnati royalty back then. Yeah, he, you was, were, you he was were just rolling, working his way up. Yeah, you were rolling around in that crowd because it was that time. Yeah, Johnny Bench and, um, um, yeah, all those people. Johnny Bench and Chris Collinsworth. And Chris Collinsworth. All, all of those people. And Boomer Esiason. Mm-hmm. And um, and the hillbilly. Which hillbilly? Come on, what's his name? What sport did he play? He played for the Big Red Machine. Okay. And sells his autographs. Pete Rose. Pete Rose. Oh my goodness! There you go. I think I that, couldn't get it. I, I think that since you're back to the radio show, mm-hmm. since all of your cancer treatments, yeah, I honestly think your memory is not nearly as good as it once was. Oh no, it's not. And I think that the chemotherapy must have some effect on people's memories. Is that? It's is, called chemo brain. Oh really? Thank you for asking. Oh, I've yeah. never known this. Like mm-hmm. I on because I've been observing this. I'm like, gosh, since Linda's back, she does sometimes like sounds stupid. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not that you sound stupid. It's just that it sometimes I'm like, gosh, she knows that. I know she knows I that. Know. She, but and listen, I have it all the and time I where I can't, can't come up it. with it. Yeah, I can't, I can't go- recall it. It's out there and I can't recall it. So just do this for me. So when you when you got done in Cincinnati, and what what was the reason for for leaving Cincinnati? It sounds like things were going pretty well for you. They were going well, and um. And then I had, I really, I, I worked my butt off there. And then they were going to bring this one guy in because <laughs> my other partner, they had fired my one partner for various things. Like what? Yeah, he started dating within the, you know, it just got messy. What do you mean? Messy, started dating in within what? One of our on-air people and it just so, got. So a couple of different on-air people started dating from. Yeah, Come there on, were, there were marriages listen. involved. Oh, there were, okay, you know, there was all kinds of crazy all right, stuff. So they didn't want that. Okay. They didn't want that. So they pushed him out. So he's out. And now they're putting somebody else in with me. And all of a sudden, one day, I show, you know, this guy shows up in the studio. And I was kind of like, well, I've been here for a while. And, and no experience. I mean, not no experience, but very, very little experience. And they're like, okay, well, let's get you guys together. We're going to do this thing. And, and let's, you know, get a contract together and... I was like, oh, so he's going to waltz in here. I've got twice as much experience right now that he does, and we're going to make the same amount of money? That sounds like shit. (laughs) By the way, I mean, this is an ongoing fight that women have today. This was back in the mid-90s. Yeah, yeah. So what happened? So I left. Wait a second. You're making money. You're mm-hmm. getting paid. Mm-hmm. You've got a high visibility factor in Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. They bring in somebody new to work with you. Yeah. And they are going to pay you guys Who I didn't really even care for his style anyway. I, I knew it wasn't going to work. But people think you can just put two people together and it's going to work magically just because it worked for some other thing. Um, the thing you and I have, that that that's brilliant. I mean, it works amazing. It's a finely oiled machine. If you were to take other players and add them it's not gonna be the same thing it's not gonna be the same dynamic but you you just left i mean people in radio don't just normally just leave jobs no so so you saying wait a second he makes the same amount of money that i make i'm out of here i said i said you know i just i don't understand it and then all of a sudden and there's where your word comes into play bitch because then you become a bitch because you're asking for what you deserve and so I I mean, I didn't abruptly leave. I just said, okay, fine. Went home, 
got the tapes out, got the packages out, looked for all the jobs, said to Austin, where do you want to go? Because I want to go back home. I want to go to San Diego. I said, that's where we're going then. Started sending tapes out, uh, checking in with San Diego stations. And, um, and once I got leads on two things, um, and they flew me out, I got a uh, opportunity in Los Angeles. They flew me out to Los Angeles to do a show there and um, flew me out with, um, who was the guy on MTV <laughs> with the curly hair? Mark Goodman? Mark Goodman. So you were doing a radio they show? They wanted me to do a radio show with Mark Goodman. Who did? The company. Okay, whoever that was. Yeah. And so I would have done afternoons with Mark Goodman. And then in the other one, they wanted me to, they were putting me together with this guy from Oklahoma, Chuck. This is here in San Diego? In this? San Diego. So you and Chuck from Oklahoma mm-hmm. are going to do a radio show together. Radio show in San Diego or my radio show in, in LA. And they're both happening at the same time. And I ended up picking San Diego because they were paying me a lot more money than LA was paying. LA just kind of figures you should be lucky to work here so we don't have to pay you as much. And they also, they San Diego flew me first class and San Diego put me up in a nice hotel and they were just kind of like, yeah, catch a cat. And someone picked me up from the airport. It, they just did it right. They just did it and right. And so what radio station did you move to San Diego to work for? Uh, the Planet, 103.7. It was a classic rock. And what year is this, you think? Hmm. 97? So Austin comes back to San Diego, mm-hmm. which is where he was from. He still really hasn't, doesn't sound like he started a career yet. No, but he took care of everything that needed. Like I was a work machine. And so he did stuff like did all the, like we bought a house there. So he took care of all that stuff. He made sure, you know what I mean? Like he, stuff I didn't have to worry about or do. And um, he was supporting your career. back. He then. was definitely supporting my career. At, for what, sure. at what point though, you, you come back to San Diego, mm-hmm. say it's the mid nineties, you're working on the planet. And how's that all going for you? Great. Great. That was, and they paid really well at the planet. So then we bought a house here. And. The house you have now? Mm-hmm. You bought that house all those years ago? Mm-hmm. In Point Loma? Yes. Wow. Yeah. Off of my paycheck. Off making money at the planet. Mm-hmm. It sounds like you were the breadwinner at the time. I was. And so when, uh, this is off course, but at what point does your husband get into the mortgage and real estate industry and then he becomes the breadwinner? Because um, now, your your radio career now, I, I hope you're not offended by what I'm about to say, but it's more hobbyish to me. Yeah, the way it I, is I perceive it. I perceive it. You don't need to work. <clears throat> right. You're, and, and, and frankly, you talk about being well paid back at the planet. I can tell you, I, I'm, I don't know what you make, but at 1090, I know they don't pay all that well. Right. Especially for someone who's kind of considered... I, you kind of have this weird part-time sort of status, mm-hmm. which is what gives you all the flexibility to come and go as you kind of please. Um, so at what point does your relationship change where you're the main breadwinner and your radio career is what's being supported to when your husband goes into business and that all sort of changes? He, When we moved back and we bought the house, he said uh, a bunch of his old bandmates called and said, hey... You know, this one guy just started a, a mortgage company. It's kind of funny. It's cool. He's got all the musicians working for him. All you got to do is take this test, and then you can work with us, and we can be mortgage brokers. And wouldn't that be fun? We can play music in the day and do mortgages. <laughs> yeah, sounds <laughs> and, cool. And he said, yeah, okay. Hanging out with my friends, playing and, music, and making money? And he took the test, and he was, like, goofing around and doing that thing. And then he realized, hmm, 
I you know you can really make some money doing this. And so he wanted to then break away and open up his own shop, his own business. <clears throat> so he took money out of the house, you know, took a second out and, and invested it in him and whatever he was going to do with that. And, and he hadn't looked back since. And he's been very, very successful. It's no wonder you guys are still married and still happy. I mean, he supported you for all those years, moved mm -hmm. around the country to shitty little towns mm -hmm. when he was from San Diego. And then when you guys come back, I mean, it was your work and your money that was providing this lifestyle. Right. And then he created a break and got a little bit lucky maybe, which is great. And then created a, a very successful business, like you're saying, so that you could then, as I understand it, start to have children and create a family. Well, that was the thing. We always wondered about that because we weren't married. And then we say, well, okay, now we're living where we know we want to live. Are this you, is our uh -huh. lifetime home. We don't want to leave here. Um, we know we want to get married. Do we want to have kids? That's the question. Because now I'm 29, you know? And so it's like, do we want to have kids? And we both decided, yeah, we did. Mm, didn't take long. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't really have time to think about it i was like well let's just give this a shot i'll go off the pill and we'll see what happens boom first try yeah you know yeah so then just in terms of your radio career so how does having children and then austin going into this business change that because you're on the planet you mentioned mm -hmm. and then did you leave that radio station because when we at the beginning of this podcast we talked about 2002 and being in Peoria, and you were with Clear Channel, I was with Clear Channel. So mm -hmm. you mentioned getting to the planet and call it the mid-90s. How did you, what, what happened over those next few years at the planet? Um, well, I was at the planet, <clears throat> and Cindy Pace, who was doing middays, she was the one who told me I was pregnant. I had no idea. How'd she know? She had three kids of her own. She looked at you? She looked at me, and she saw what I was eating, and she just said, I think you are pregnant. And I said, I don't think so. I just don't. And she's like, do me a favor, take a test. And I did, and sure enough. And now, what year is this? Because you know when your child was, I mean. Right, so that would 1999. Okay, 99. Mm -hmm. And you're still at the planet. And I'm still at the planet. Are and you then doing the, well? Are things going well? Because this is before I got to San Diego. Things are going well. Um, but <clears throat> we had, suddenly a new program director came in. Uh-oh, rolling the eyes. Yeah, and this guy walked in to this to our office where Chuck and I were. We were the morning show and What was it called the show? It was called Waking Up with the Joneses. Chuck Jones and I changed my name for that one, Joan Welby. <laughs> that was my <laughs> name. <laughs> I know. And I did that was that was a marketing girl who wanted to do it and I was like, "Well, I have a sister Joan." All right. And I hated it. And I really hated it. And that was like the worst thing I ever did. Yeah, I don't you hate I when never... you relent on your principles? Yes, I, I wish know. I never Pisses did that. They were like, it's cute, it's catchy, and we got to kind of get some traction right away. So we did that. And this program director came in, and he came into the office, and he said, now, mind you, his, uh, his interview process took about six months. They didn't know who they wanted, but they always had this guy kind of on the hook. So he, he knew, I mean, he had plenty of time. If, if, you, if you're on the beach, you want to work at a station, what are you going to do? You're going to do all your homework on that station, aren't you? You're going to find out who the players are, what's what, so that when you get interviewed, you're just, you know, you're ready to go. He walked in our office and said, and the general manager, Bob Bollinger, said, oh, these are the Joneses, Chuck Jones and Joan Welby. And he goes, oh, very good. Uh, what is it that you do here? 
This is the new program director. Uh huh. The new program director walks in and doesn't know who you guys are. No. Got it. And he walked out, and I looked at Chuck, and I said, yep. Time fired. to get the resumes out. <laughs> yeah, we're getting fired. If the new program director doesn't know who we are, the morning show, yep. we're getting fired. We're out. We're mm-hmm. getting fired. And Chuck didn't believe it. He said, no, no, we're not. I said, Chuck, we are. I said, so you want to go as a team or not? Because I'm going. I'm not waiting around for this to happen. And I didn't like the guy's attitude either. So I sent a tape across the street to Mike O'Brien over at Clear Channel. And I called him first. And I said, oh, you know. I was wondering if you, I could send you a tape. And he goes, well, we're not really hiring right now, but, you know, sure. So I said, maybe just critique it for me. <coughs> I said, because I'm going to be looking for a job, and I, I like your input because mm-hmm. I listen to your show when I go walking. And about uh, he got the tape, and about four days later, he called me and said, can you come in for an interview? And so then I went in, and they put a show with myself and Mike together. What station is that? That's uh, 95.7. And what year is this? Mm, that late nineties, you say? Two, late ni- 99, 2000. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. So, so you and Mike start together, and like you said, two thousand. Mm-hmm. And how long did that relationship last on the radio? Mm, that lasted not that long, a couple of years. Okay, and I and I remember. So now back to the beginning, two thousand two. You're there in Peoria. We're there in Peoria. Mm-hmm. Um, you're pregnant at the time. Yep. And and that was your first child? No, that would have been Quincy. Oh, your second child. Yeah, right. I already had Ava. Because Mike and I, his wife and myself, we were pregnant at the same time, which was hilarious. Kind of funny. I bet that made for good content. It, it actually did make for good content. Yeah. And then, yeah, Quincy was for the... But you, you get done with Mike O'Brien, what year? Hmm. You think? You guys, at 95.7, what year do you think that was? That was, oh my gosh... 2003, four, yeah, right somewhere in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Because then that's when we connect. Right. Is is Bill Pugh yep. says to me, I have this woman. She's great. I wanted somebody, a female on our show really desperately. And that's when you got introduced to, to Scott and BR. And Billy Ray and I started in 2001, April of 2001. I'm going to guess this is probably late 2003, early 2004, somewhere in that mm-hmm. area is mm-hmm. where we got started. But now listening to you tell that whole story, which I've never heard before, it, it 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 doesn't surprise me that you were with us for a while. We were succeeding, mm-hmm. and then you left for a bigger, better payday. I did. Which, by the way, I'm so glad you're telling me these whole these stories because this podcast for me is about my daughters, about my three daughters. It's about finding positive female role models. I say to my daughters all the time: you don't want to be dependent on a man. Mm-hmm. You have to have your own job. You have to have your own career. You you make your own money. You never depend on a man. When you left me and Billy Ray the first time, I was like, is she out of her mind? And you left to go make more money, frankly. Yeah, with Tony and Chris. But that was a difficult one because they had approached me while I was here and and said, hey, we you know, want you to work with Tony and Chris and it'd be great and um, we'll give you X amount of money. I'm like, you know what? And it was still more than I was making here. And I just said, eh, I'm really happy here though. I really like it a lot. So thank you. The week goes by, got the other call. Okay, so what's the number then? What number would it take to get you to you leave know, Scott and to leave Scott to and go over Tony and Chris? Go over Tony and Chris. I'm like, I don't know, and I just threw out a number. All right, well, let me let me get back to you. You know, and got back to me like later that day. Okay, all right, let's meet. <laughs> Damn, I should have thrown out a bigger number. <laughs> um, and so then I went to meet them. And then I came back, and I remember, although you and Billy Ray both handled it a little differently, 
Do you remember? Mm, tell me. You know, okay, so I told you, and because I, I wanted you guys to know first, and I said, yeah, they, they're stationed across town. Now, you weren't happy at the time with certain things that were going on at the station. So I understand why you said what you said. What did you say? You said, uh, well, you got to take it. You got to take it. It's more money. You should take it. Billy Ray's right behind me. Billy Ray goes, whoa, hold up. No, no, we do not want you to go anywhere. And then you were like, no, I mean, we don't want you to go anywhere. But I mean, you know, but you're a business guy. You're like, you're, you've got your business hat on. And Billy Ray had his we're a team hat on, mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm. And it was really hard. It was a hard decision to make. And I did it. And I learned a lot. And I missed you guys the whole time while I was doing it. Wow. Yeah. It, you know, it was fun. Those guys were great, but they it wasn't the fun that, that we have. How long were you, how long did you work with them? And and by the way, moving into country music. I know. Morning. Yeah, radio. I know. I know. I didn't know there? a whole lot about country. Um, I was there probably two or three years. Yeah. And then did you kind of go into like a radio retirement of sorts? Your, your mom, kids are young, you know, Austin's making money. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of, well, I was doing voiceovers from home. Started doing that because um, I, I don't know, all these people were approaching me about it and it, I didn't really have to mine for it. They, the jobs were coming to me. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, we'll set something up at home. And that, I started doing that. To make voiceovers money. for like commercials, for local radio commercials? No, like some, some national commercials. Some, um, I did some animation work. I, you know, was a character. and So people were using you for your voice. Yep. Got it. Yeah, so I did that. And then one of the things, my um, studio at home, there was a, I had a problem. So I called up, uh, I called up um, Myra, my friend Myra, and she had asked. She was probably in radio sales at that time. Yes. Okay. And um, I needed to use a studio. I was like, geez, can I, do you think I could use a studio to, and so. Um, Tell me it was here at 1090. Anthony. Yeah, Frank Anthony. Frank Anthony was here. In fact, that Frank Anthony is who I did the session with. Really? Yeah. And then I, I gave him a check. I cut him in on it. I was like, you know, if you help me, I'll help you. And after I did that, Myra grabbed my hand, marched me into John Lynch's office, and he was, had clients in there. She opened the door, did not care, marched me right up to the front of his desk and said, I'm telling you this right now. You would be remiss if you do not hire her for the Scott and BR show. She's perfect. She's she's she can be salty. She knows sports. She won't take she won't put up with anybody's crap. She'll but she has fun and la la la. And this was years after the first time we were all together? Or is this the beginning of putting us all together? This was because I'm asking. Oh no no no! This was the this is the beginning. Okay, because Tony, cause Tony that was and the Chris, beginning. Because the Tony and Chris thing happened after us, and then after and Tony then that, and Chris, I, right? I'm trying to remember how you actually came back. Oh, you called th- me. Oh, you call. Here we go. You called me, and I said I don't think I can work afternoons, and that's what you're doing. That's and right. what did you say? Do you remember what you said? I don't, but I I'm sure it was probably something like, whatever it takes, we'll figure it out. You said. Uh, can you put Austin on the phone? <laughs> <laughs> I had some persuading I needed to Can do. you put Austin on the phone? Yeah. And you just had this, I don't know, long conversation with Austin. And then I'll, I kept hearing Austin saying, I, yeah, it sounds good. I don't know. I just, whatever makes her happy. If she wants, you know, if she's happy and, you know, and then we got back on the phone. You're like, okay, so we in? We in? We're good? Okay. Because okay. it's going to start next week. All right, let's go. And 
that was it. Here we are all these years later again. Mm -hmm. This is what makes kind of bring it all full circle now. What made last year so incredibly difficult, mm -hmm. you know, um, I knew I knew we I was that Billy Ray was having some major issues. And when I say it like that, what I mean is I, I had been around him so much for so long that I knew things were getting progressively worse. Mm -hmm. There was a, a time I'll, I, I'll never forget it. it. We were broadcasting from the Farmers Insurance Open and we all left together and he couldn't find his car. That's when I took him home that night. Right. And I, I left. I mean, I didn't, mm -hmm. I think we walked together to the parking lot. And I was like, all right, see you later, man. I mean, I, I, I didn't know how bad it was at that time. See you later. See you later. Okay. And then I got a call from you later that night that you had spent like, I don't know, two and a half hours. It three. was dark out and we couldn't find it anywhere. And I said, Billy Ray, let's, he said, I don't know what to do. How would you find your car? If, and I said, call the cops and tell, report it stolen. <laughs> Good advice, Linda. <laughs> <laughs> Poor guy I can't remember where he parked. They'll hunt it down. They'll yeah. find it, you know, and, and then they'll give you a call when they get it. So um, we didn't find it, and then we drove back to his place. You drove Billy Ray around a couple hours that night mm -hmm. looking for his car. Mm -hmm. Took him home. Yep. The next day, I remember he and Kim had to go back to the golf course to try and find the try car, which they did. It. It, it, was, it was happening. His, his memory was right. fading. You know what I mean? That was a big turning point, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But, but while that was happening and I was exposed to it from, you know, the absolute front row, we were not prepared for the call that I received last year from you, mm. which I, I could tell like in the first half of the year, in, in the first half of 18, you were going to doctor's appointments. You weren't saying anything. You were kind of, you, you were saying that you were going on some appointments and you weren't sure what was wrong and something wasn't right. But you weren't really saying what was going on. Mm -hmm. In other words, before you actually announced that you had breast cancer last year, right. there were several months in advance where things were going on, as I recall. Is that right? Yeah. Well, there was a lot going on. My mom, who had Alzheimer's, um, was living with me. I was taking care of her. It was unbelievably stressful. And I wasn't taking care of myself until I couldn't do that anymore. I had to make a decision because then you get the breast cancer diagnosis and now I have to say, you know, to the rest of my brothers and sisters, you guys have to step in now. I can't do it. What did you do with your mom? She went back east and stayed with my sister and now she is in a um, memory care place, which is amazing. I mean, I'm really, I was scared to put her somewhere like that, but it's really an amazing place for her. What about this diagnosis, though? When you found out, mm -hmm. I, I mentioned that there were a few months in advance. Were you going through a bunch of tests that you weren't telling us about? Was there, was there something showing up that seemed abnormal that they were starting to look for? Or, or what was going on no, in happened. advance of your announcement? <coughs> it happened pretty quick. It was, um, I got out of the shower. I noticed an indent on my breast and thought that was weird and just kind of was like, oh, that feels weird, but not lumpy. I don't know. And then I got ready, and then it went away. And I was like, well, maybe it was just the heat, you know? Maybe just my skin's, like, starting to pucker or something. I'm getting, I'm getting old. I oh, don't know. Goodness. Next Talk day, about denial. Yeah, I know. I'm in denial. Next day, same thing happened, and I'm trying to... Must have been one of those heat lumps again. The heat lumps. Yeah. Because I like hot showers. Yeah. Like, really so. hot so showers. Hot my breast gets showers. lumpy. Yeah. This one looked fine. This one still had the lump. And then I really kind of dug in and started to do a self-exam and I felt it, and I almost just jumped out of my skin. 
You felt what? A lump that shouldn't be there. What did it feel like? Felt like a lump. Felt like... I mean, I picture like a golf ball under your skin. Yeah. Like you have lumps. Felt like oh, a lump. I felt like that kind of lump. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Did you play with it the rest of the day then? I did not. Oh, I didn't want to touch it. Yeah, no, I yeah, didn't even right. want to go back and touch it. So you, how big was it? Seriously. Uh, it's about that big, like the size of a, what, half dollar. Okay. So you could feel a half dollar size lump in mm-hmm. your skin. What do you do? Um, you, in your mind, you feel that. Do mm-hmm. you say, I have breast cancer? Or do you say, oh, maybe this is just some sort of cyst or something. They're going to cut it out. I mean, do you know at the time? You know, I don't think it's that dramatic. I felt it and I just said, oh my God, I'm going to die. Oh, not that dramatic then. Because <sighs> you think that right away. You're like, this is it. This is it. I thought I was going to have a heart attack or maybe stroke or nope, I'm going this way. Oh man. And you do. You think that. When you feel it or when they tell you that you have it? When you feel it. When you feel the lump in your breast, mm-hmm. you think I'm going to die. That's what I thought. And then, you know, I shook myself together and I was like, okay, all right, we got we to gotta take a deep breath and figure this thing out. And, you know, then you go through stages that, you know, where they. Well, how long after you feel it, are you in front of a doctor who can confirm it? The next day I was in front of a doctor. They feel it and say breast cancer or mm-hmm. they say, wait, we got to do some pathology. And she said, this is very concerning. I'm going to send you down to have a mammogram and an ultrasound. Um, unfortunately, it was like the 4th of July weekend. So they couldn't take me. So now I had to wait out the 4th of July weekend. And that's got to be the worst. (coughs) Like where you're like, no, no, I want this out now. Mm -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you're living with it. And Mm -hmm. now I'm acting normal. And in fact, there's a picture of uh, Kimberly and me and Billy Ray. We're in the Chula Vista fundraiser for the Chula Vista Police Department. And that was a very pivotal day for me that I knew all this. I had more information, but I couldn't tell anybody. You know, and I see the pictures of everybody smiling and I just look at it and go, oh, that was such a terrible day for me. Mm. So what happened? I mean, you, you from the day you sat there and felt this and said, I'm going to die and mm-hmm. you shook yourself together. So the next day being in front of the doctor, I mean, I don't know where we all came in the line of, of finding this out. But I mean, when I, I get back to the premise, which was last year was a really tough year between Billy Ray going into what I would call semi-retirement because he can't keep up any longer right? with, you know, because he can't remember anything any longer. Um, and then all of a sudden, halfway through the year, after all the drama, and I say drama, I mean, you know, it was when, when, when Billy Ray was about to kind of almost when he was going through what he was dealing with particularly as it related to the radio station. Unfortunately, I had to get caught up in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. And I had to sit there with Billy Ray and Kim and talk through what was going to happen and how to best handle this. And and then all of a sudden, the next thing I know, after dealing with all of this, which, you know, this is my brother, this is 17-year relationship, he and I. Now, all of a sudden, you call me and say, I've got breast cancer. I'm like, what the fuck, man? Mm-hmm. I'm like, how am I going to keep this shit together? Because he's he can't remember as much as he used to and can't perform like he used to. You now have breast cancer. I'm in the middle of a divorce, which is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. I've got four children to deal with. Right. Like, I don't mean to make this about me because it's about you, but I, I was in, at, at that stage in my world, I was like spinning. Like, how the hell am I going to keep this shit together? Mm-hmm. You know, which and, makes and, it, which and, makes it more amazing of the, um, the response you gave me. Cause I think when we were on the phone, you just said, 
because I, I just did, I couldn't call you because I knew you'd just work it out of me. And I couldn't tell you until I told my kids. So I avoided you. I was avoiding. <laughs> I'm like, no, because they'll just keep asking questions. They'll keep coming at me. And then when I finally did, I know with all that stuff that you had going on, and your question was, okay, okay, we're, okay, we're going we're gonna to handle this. We're going we're gonna to take care of this. We're going to get the good doctors. We're going to do this. What can I do right now? And I just said, I don't know, just the work end of it. I, I can't deal with that right now, so can you handle that? And you go, consider it handled. And then that was it. You never said a word after that. And I never asked about work or I never asked about, and it was handled. So yeah, thank you. You're welcome. So that's heavy shit, man, because, you know, that, that, that is, um, as I guess my point is, is that when I, when the world was circling and swirling for me, what I kept thinking about was, okay, but it's not life and death. You know, what you're dealing with, which, you know, today you look great and you're back to work and life is hopefully, thankfully back to normal. But from the time you told me that to the time you were done with all of your treatments, like I really looked at it like the difference between the stress that I'm feeling versus the reality that Linda's living with is I'm dealing with a lot of bullshit. She's dealing with life and death. That's the way I looked at it. And that's a good way to look at it. It's a healthy way to look at it. But the thing is, if you, you know, everybody has their stuff. Everybody has their junk drawer. And if you don't deal with your own junk drawer, you know, it could lead to what I had. You know, it leads Why, to do you think? Do you think that your breast cancer is a byproduct of stress? Or? Absolutely. 100%. Hmm. Taking care of my mom. You're kidding me. Nope. I know it. And I've talked to more women who will say to me, I say, well, do you know when it may have happened or what <clears throat> What prompted? Absolutely. I can tell you right now when I, when I felt my body being sick. In fact, it was about six months to a year prior to me getting breast cancer. I woke up in bed one morning and my husband and I were talking about just the str- I could hear my mom kind of moaning downstairs and you know, opening the door that she thinks is the bathroom, but it's the closet and she's going to go in and, you know, just all timer stuff. And I, I was like, oh, okay. I'm like, I just need five more minutes in bed before I deal with all this stuff. And then I said, you know what? My body feels toxic. And it, it just feels toxic. I can't even explain it. He goes, well, what do you mean? I go, I feel like I have cancer somewhere growing in my body. It just, I, I can't explain it, but that's what I feel. And then that was about, you know, six months to a year before the diagnosis. Any doctors, I'm not saying that doctors have all the answers, but does do any doctors substantiate that stress or lifestyle? I mean, listen, if you told me you smoked 10 packs of cigarettes a day and you got lung cancer, I go, okay. Yeah, right. makes sense. Is there, is there any correlation, do doctors say, between stress and... It depends on the doctor that you ask. If you ask a straight oncologist, they are just sticking to the book. If you ask a, um, you know, a doctor who is Eastern, Western, <laughs> mm-hmm. excuse me, philosophy, mm-hmm. um, they will tell you, yeah, absolutely stress. And they'll want to go back and say, what were you doing? What happened? What triggered this? What was happening at this point? The chemical makeup in your body. Because sometimes when you're stressed, your body cannot even digest food properly. You know, I mean, it's, it's, the body's an amazing machine. Do you have any anger or resentment towards your brothers, sisters, or mother at all? Like, in other words, do you think of them as like, I, 
she was living with me. I was stressed out. Mm -hmm. You guys weren't helping me as much as I needed. And this is what led to my breast cancer. And I'm pissed at you guys. I mean, I'm just wondering what your emotions are like. Yeah, there's a little bit of that. Not not right now. Not so much now because everything's kind of worked out. But at the time there was, yeah, there was a lot of back and forth, a lot of stress. It's easier when you can play the cancer card because that kind of trumps anything. <laughs> <laughs> but lay that on the table afterwards. Right. Well, I have mom and I have four kids and I've got to do this and I have I have a job and I have to do this. I have cancer. Yeah. Take mom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. So is life, would you call it, is life back to normal now or? Not yet. What What is different today than pre-cancer? Um. Well, like my hair's still growing back, mm-hmm. you know. I've got sideburns over here. No, but I mean, uh, but things that I can't notice. <clears throat> I that... have pain every day in my hands and my feet. You know, uh, I feel like it's rheumatoid arthritis feeling. And this is a byproduct of treatments. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and I was joking earlier, but I guess I'm not joking. I mean, forgetfulness is that really a part of chemo brain? It's mm-hmm. what it's called chemo brain. I've yep. never heard of that. Yep. Interesting. That's another thing. They, I've read so many different things. One is that. It's about a year before all that stuff gets out of your system. Got it. And the best way to really combat all the side effects is get on an amazing daily exercise routine. And people who do that have the best um, results. And are you, um, we say you're cancer free now. I don't know if that's, is that remission? Is that what that's called or is that not what that's called? Um, I like the word cancer free. Okay, so Sounds good free. to me. But but do you worry like every day now that all it's going to come back? All the time. When I got my cold, you know, um, I thought I had lung cancer. You know, I mean, it, it, you get to be a little bit of a hypochondriac. But Were you paranoid like that before? No. Okay. No. Like, and I mean, t- if like I hurt tomorrow, my thumb, if I hurt my thumb, I think I have thumb cancer. You know, it's just, <laughs> right. I mean, I, that's just who I am, you know? Right, right, right. Some people are more than others. Yeah. But like... <clears throat> tomorrow I have a um a bone density scan that they're doing for the first time post chemo. There's certain tests that they're gonna do and they'll see how it has affected my bones, you know, which the radiation and the chemo, they play they can play a number on your So I'm interested to see how that, you know. Yeah, so now every day, even cancer free, every day you've got to be thinking about I guess not to be overly cosmic, but mortality. Just it's a different world now, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. It is definitely different. And some things I'm, I'm a lot more free about, and some things I'm a lot more cautious about. Yeah. What are you more free about? Well, like um, I think with my kids, more I was, you know, I was a bit of a helicopter parent and in the formative years. But they're both, you know, sixteen and eighteen now, and it's just kind of like. I want to say yes when they when they ask me to do this. Yes, yes. Instead of no, the answer is yes. Okay, so you're freer that way. Mm-hmm. What are you more the opposite direction, more uptight about? More uptight. More cautious. More you're, cautious you're, yeah. is, um, unfortunately, this falls on Austin. <laughs> because if we're sitting there and we're talking about the kids and the path that they're going to take or what we think or make a decision. Ava wants to go to LA this weekend and maybe stay at a hotel or whatever. Austin. Okay. Yeah, that sounds good. She'll leave the room. I'm like, okay. If I die tomorrow and you're that parent that, you know, so I'm kind of like in my head, I look at him sometimes as if, if I go, you're the guy. So I need to make sure you understand how, 
we, when I say we, I mean I like to control things. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like Psycho. Yeah, I know. I'm a little psycho like that. I'm going to be controlling from the grave. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. You need to, like, write rules for when I mm-hmm. go. Oh, my goodness. I'll be that person that does the video. <laughs> Leaving instructions. This is Christmas video. Put this on Christmas Eve. Put this on Christmas Day. (laughs) Well, I'm I'm glad we talked about all this stuff. You know, this is stuff we never talk about. I know. You know, we never talk about the history of how you got from here to there and and how you, you know, I've heard you mention Cincinnati on the radio and I'm like, yeah, blah, 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 Cincinnati days. This is exciting to hear all this stuff and then kind of bring it home through what you went through last year because, you know, inspired a lot of people, you know? Yeah, I think it did too. And I just think everybody here at the station i mean allison and you and you guys were great yeah it was uh it was a it was gosh it was a crazy time um when are we going to start the linda welby breast cancer podcast where it can be for about and by women who are dealing with this that you've already had to deal with well now that i see the setup it looks pretty simple yeah it's no biggie at all it's just getting it from here to actually there so people can hear it. I don't know how that happens. I mean, I just know how to push play. And, and then record. somebody else takes yeah, care of that. Yeah, then somebody else does Okay, it. we'll have to learn I'm that. trying to teach, I'm trying to ask Allison to learn how to do it so that I can become less dependent on Alex. Now she knows how to do it. But <laughs> I think it's a great project. I mean, I think you got to do it. I feel, I feel like I should do it. I just don't want to, I mean, everybody's so different and so unique and my goal with it would be to have fun with it and i know that's kind of a dichotomy of cancer it's but you can you can laugh at stuff you can laugh at the way you know you wake up and you've got one set of eyebrows and the other one's gone (laughs) that day or like you know two eyelashes hanging on and then nothing over here you know there's just like you have to laugh at that stuff to get through it you just do. Yeah, I would like to. St- I would like to produce that podcast. I really would. I think it's a great podcast. I think a lot of people would, n- not just the women who are going through it, but it could be their families, it could be their husbands, it could mm-hmm. be the people they work with. Mm-hmm. I think people would would find it really, really interesting because just like for me, who I'd never been with somebody this close to me, who was dealing with this. You know, like the first time I had to deal with somebody this close to me with addiction. I mean, these are all learning experiences, and I just think that you could bring so much. Yeah. With a podcast. Well, let's do it. No, you do it. Oh, you said you were going to produce it. No, I what know, but I, I, I come up with the idea. Oh, you come up with the idea. Okay. <laughs> That's really it. Well, I can get many guests. That's it. Yeah, right. And if, right. And if you're going to make any money with it, I take a piece you get, of that. You get a piece right. of the money. <laughs> I, I got gotcha. you. Right. I got gotcha. you. All right. This has been phenomenal. And before I go. Yes. I know you're curious. And I asked Austin, would you like to see the finished product? The answer is Yes. Okay. I want to see the finished part. You're going to show me your breasts right now. Yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm just messing with you. Oh, gosh darn it. <laughs> the way you were unbuttoning your shirt. Well, that was really fun, and I'm glad that we, we did this. And I'm off radio, as it turns out, this week, so I'm glad to provide some content while I'm out of town. I'm actually in Pittsburgh this week and Washington, D.C., because being in San Diego and running a company in San Diego that has a lot of strong roots in Pittsburgh, there's things that I just absolutely have to be on the ground to do. And 
taking time off of radio is never an easy thing, especially right now in late March when we're at the end of a ratings period that has been extremely good to the Mighty 1090. Taking off this time of year is not exactly the smartest thing to do, but when I made these plans, I I just had to get to Pittsburgh and deal with a whole bunch of stuff that is not the fun stuff, but uh, the the, the stuff that gets your hands dirty, kind of legal, maneuvering, and all the, the business stuff that you don't necessarily want to hear about. But so I took the week off of radio so I could go and deal with another business. And, um, and I wanted to give you something. And I know that this, uh, this Linda Welby, th- this was really a fun one. It was really great. So thanks to everybody for listening. I, I haven't been mentioning sponsors so much this, uh, this first part of 2019, but I always do like to make mention of my friends at Callaway Golf because just this past week, I was talking to a colleague in radio up in Seattle, and um, he was telling me about that he hasn't been able to play golf because there's been snow forever. And I was laughing at him, of course, because we were getting Seattle's rain in Southern California. They're still battling snow, and today it's perfect sunny, 66 degrees, and he's still fighting the snow. And I was talking to him about getting fitted at his club so that he could get golf clubs delivered and fitted and manufactured from Callaway so that you have the best equipment for your game. So I'm just sending a little shout-out to my friends at Callaway because I always like to promote and and share and um, and make sure that all my friends are playing those Callaway sticks. And I mention it because um, I love to recruit ambassadors for their brand. And, and as those of you who are, are following us on Sided.co, you're seeing our weekly email correspondence our Friday Fab Five email presented by Callaway. So thank you to Callaway Golf. I want to just give a shout-out to those guys. And I mentioned PCG, who had us last week, for for the Supper Club. So thank you, Linda Welby. Thanks to everybody for tuning into radio this week while I'm off. And thanks, everybody, for always being here on the solo podcast. This time, Badass Bitches Episode 2. Interviewed by Scott on the weekly solo podcast that on every Tuesday drops. Keep it locked and make sure after you listen, share the latest volume, tune into the next edition.